This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. If you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, it'll take me a half an hour to read these verses, but be patient. No, just kidding. We're going to read the first 20 verses in that chapter. Uh, so Acts chapter 4, 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. Just grab it and read from that scripture, that Bible. Okay, Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and Sadducees came up upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Amazing. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were just astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they confirmed with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
So um, you may know this about me. My uh, dad was the kind of rock in my life, uh, the one who really was responsible for raising me. So you can blame it all on my dad, I guess. But uh, uh, we had, he had several wives along the way, but uh, he was the one steady thing. And he taught me lots. So I learned a lot from my dad. Uh, from my dad, I learned um, you know, to be respectful of my elders. Uh, from my dad, I learned to work hard and to, to put the time and effort into to, to working. Um, now my dad, um, there's this long season where he, it was just him raising three kids alone. And so he was the primary seamstress and the, the chef. I mean, he did it all. And uh, so my dad taught me how to cook. My dad taught me a lot of things. Uh, but it, it came evident to my dad that he also needed to teach me how to defend myself. Uh, when I was in junior high, I was um, beat up by a kid named Jesse. And uh, this week, I was trying to find his last name. I was asking some of my friends, well, can you find the guy's last name? And they couldn't remember because I wanted to find him again. <laughs> and see what's up now. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, so uh, my dad decided I needed to learn how to defend myself. And, and so here's my dad's method. He actually bought myself and my brother uh, both a pair of boxing gloves, and he put us in the backyard together. And then he just ignored the screams of help until uh, I learned how to defend myself. By the way, that season was my brother's fondest memories of his entire childhood. But he's coming again in, in July. He's coming to visit in July. And uh, yeah, we'll see what's up then, too. But anyway, Jason uh, you know, taught me how to defend myself. I actually got into boxing quite a bit when I was, like, when I was younger. But yeah, I, um, because of the area we grew up in, the only thing is right that dad did that. I haven't taught my boys how to box. Uh, but um, my dad, because of the area I grew up in, felt it necessary that he knew how to stand when I needed to stand. Uh, I, I wish I could stand up here as your pastor and, and tell you that all you need to do is just share Jesus and just love people and everything's going to be fine and no one's ever going to oppose you and I'm sure there are unicorns somewhere involved in that story, but the reality, the reality is opposition comes. Peter and John experienced it. I mean, they healed the lame guy. They performed a miracle in Jesus' name. And you read, they couldn't deny it. But they persecuted them. And they brought them before the council of the day. I mean, Caiaphas and Annas and the elite of the elite in terms of the Jewish religion was concerned. And they were put on trial in front of these guys and rebuked and told not to preach the name of Jesus. And it really shouldn't be a shock to them or to us because Jesus promised it. Here's John 15 where Jesus said himself, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. And if we're going to make a stand for Christ in our day and age, we're not going to be warmly accepted by the world, nor should it be our goal. The world will hate us. Paul told Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's coming. 
And if you stand for Christ, and if you preach the gospel, and if you even reach out in love to other people, but you do it in Jesus' name, can I just say to you, you will be opposed. So as your pastor, I have to teach you to reach out in love. I have to teach you to preach the name of Jesus, but I also have to teach you how to stand when opposition comes. And that brings us to the big idea of the day. When opposition comes, I will stand. I want that to be your heart and your passionate commitment. When opposition comes, I will stand. Now, to help us stand well, we're going to look at this story again, the story of Peter and James before this council of Jewish elders. And I'm going to ask three kind of simple questions of the text because we want to stand in the same way. We want to learn from them so that when it comes to us and it will come, how should we stand? What are we to do and why are we to do it? Well, that becomes our three questions. So write the first one down. How? How? How are we to stand? When opposition comes, what should characterize our stance to those who oppose us? Well, there is a word that characterize the stance of Peter and John. And I want you to see that word in verse number 13 of our text. So Acts 4, 13, which says this. Now, when they saw the, what's the word there, church? When they saw the, the okay, yes, different versions than I do. So <laughs> that failed. Uh, so when they saw, when they saw the boldness, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. Boldness was the word. Boldness was the word. Now, it wasn't that long ago, just a few weeks, I talked about boldness, but let me repeat it again because I think repetition is a good teacher. Uh, uh, when we hear the word boldness, we tend to think of that, that preacher on the street corner, red face, telling everybody they're going to hell and they have to believe in Jesus. And we think that that's boldness and that could be a form of boldness, but the, really the heart, the root of the word boldness boldness is more the idea of just say the truth and say it plainly. This is the truth. This is what it is. And I just need to tell you plainly, this is the truth. That's, that's boldness. So uh, in other words, to have bold confidence in what is true, okay, bold confidence in what is true, and then to stand and state that truth without wavering. That's boldness. And just check out how bold they were. Look at verse number eight in your text. This is Peter responding to the questioning of the religious elite of the day, the Jewish religious elite. And this is what Peter says. And Peter, watch this, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, that was bold. Did you know these guys all knew who Jesus was? They knew what he looked like. They, they, they saw him themselves. Caiaphas was the one who put him on the cross. They knew Jesus, and they knew he was from Nazareth. And they had a saying back in that day, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah. And he's saying, Peter is saying, that Jesus of Nazareth that you despise? No, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead by his name, by this man. He's standing before you, well, why, that's bold. How are you going to be when you're challenged about your faith in Jesus? Do you really believe Jesus? Do you really believe he's the only way? 
do you really believe this story about how a God sent his son to die for your sin, and by believing in that, you'll get to heaven? you really believe that? Are you going to stand with boldness? Well, how in the world did Peter and, and John do it? I'm going to give you two sources of their boldness, if I can, from the text. Two sources of their boldness. Write them down. Number, letter A, B, under number one is this. Boldness comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Boldness comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse number eight says it really plainly. And Peter, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. Where does boldness come from? It comes from being filled with the Spirit. Jesus promised the Spirit would come in power. And yes, that power was in the miracles that they did, but here is also the power, standing up and proclaiming with boldness. Peter, Peter standing up and proclaiming with boldness. To Caiaphas, the high priest, this is Peter. Do you remember what happened with Peter when, when Jesus was being crucified and he was being questioned about his association with Jesus? Let me remind you, let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there with me to see this. Luke 22. Now, by way of jogging your memory, uh, the author of Acts is Luke. And so Luke, the gospel, is really volume one, and Acts is really the sequel, or part two, to the story of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working. But here's Luke chapter 22, and let's check this out. Watch verse number 54, Luke 22, 54. Then they seized him and led him away, this is Jesus now, bringing him into the high priest's house. You checking with this? So he's at, he's at Caiaphas' house, and, and, when they, uh, and then Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, this is Caiaphas's courtyard, and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. And Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And no, watch, no, watch, watch, watch. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And watch what Luke writes down now. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's Peter, unfilled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, he's going to struggle later on in his life. After Acts 4, much later in his life, he's going to be eating with a bunch of Gentiles and Jews were going to come walking in and Peter's going to get up and withdraw from the Gentiles to appease the Jews. And Peter's, or Paul's going to rebuke him to a lifelong struggle. So what makes Peter so different here He's not just in the courtyard of Caiaphas. He's in Caiaphas's face. And he's saying, you crucified Jesus. What's giving him such boldness? Well, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit? 
Can you today experience a filling of the Holy Spirit? I did a lot of teaching recently here about what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. I think there's one baptism that happens when you accept Jesus as your Savior. You're baptized into the body of Christ. I believe then you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible talks about many fillings of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see throughout Acts. It's not the only time the Scripture is going to say Peter was filled with the Spirit. There's several times where he's filled with the Spirit. Have you ever been filled with the Spirit? What is it like to be filled with the Spirit? Let me give you an example of this, and hopefully this will help you. So I'm going to um, pour some milk, first of all. 1% milk, in case you're wondering. I don't know why you care, but maybe that's there. I mean, you seem to be judging me about what kind of milk I drink, but I just want to let you know. And I'm going to make this milk a lot better by putting in some... Oh, now I've upgraded the milk. See that? And, and this is like us as Christians. We have the Spirit. We're indwelt with the Spirit. But are we filled? Has it become who we are? Has it saturated us? And sometimes we need just to stir that up until we are now filled with the Spirit and one with the Spirit. And we become really delicious. Yes, I'm going to drink it. Just so you know. It's 1% milk, so it's healthy, right? So it's fine. It's fine. Mm. That was way too much chocolate. <clears throat> Stay away. It's going to be a struggle, I know. Okay? So, all right, all right, come on now. He's in you. He's in you. But is he filling you? Is he saturating you? It's got to be stirred up. Let me give you another example. This one, let me give you a biblical illustration. This is right from the Word of God, and one that's used not once, not twice, but three times in the Bible. And it might be a little tough for some, but let me show it with you. This is Ephesians 5, 18, which says this, and do not be drunk with wine. That's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So here in Ephesians, Paul is a negative comparison, but a comparison still uh, of being drunk and being filled. They don't do this, but do this. Same, same thing is used in Acts 1 or Acts 2, where they look at these guys and they say, look, they must be drunk. They're out of their mind. They've got to be drunk. And so the Bible uses this several times. And I hope that you don't have any recent memories of this drunkenness in your life, but there is something here to say that a loss of control, a complete, again, saturation of the Spirit is an illustration the Bible uses. John Piper says this, I think it's an outstanding quote. He says, how do you get drunk with wine? Well, you drink it, lots of it. No, that's not advice, by the way. That's an example, okay? Just track with me on this. So how then will we get drunk or filled with the Spirit? Will we drink it? Lots of it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we, uh, we were all made to drink in one spirit. 
Now, summing up a lot of teaching, Piper goes on to say, so drinking the Spirit means setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. In fact, Romans 8, 5 says that very thing. Set your minds on things of the Spirit. And setting our minds on things of the Spirit means directing our eager attention to the teaching of the apostles about God and the words of Jesus. He's summarizing now Romans. Uh, if we do this long enough, we will get drunk with the Spirit. In fact, we'll get addicted to the spirit. Instead of chemical dependency, we'll develop a wonderful spirit dependency. There's something about stirring up and drinking in and being filled and amazed and in awe of and excited about the things of God and the spirit of God that fills us up. Let me just give you several verses to help kind of guide that pathway. You need to be praying for the Spirit, praying for the Spirit. Luke, again, chapter 11, verse 13, it's that, it's that parable where Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how will the Heavenly Father not also give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? And so we want to ask the Lord for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 1 talks about uh, worship being our, uh, our spiritual action that we should take. So Spirit-filled worship is a way to be filled. I love John 16 where Jesus promises the Spirit and says that the Spirit will guide you in all truth. So there's something about just being in the Word and reading His Word and letting the Spirit speak to you in His Word. Does that ever happen? I mean, I can, I can tell you it happened as early as this morning to me as I was in my personal devotions and, and I just needed to read the Word and God brought me back to some things that I was just seeing God in my life again and just stirring that up inside me. 1 John 3 talks about how obeying the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me show you the verse. This is 1 John 3, 24, where it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Okay, so not just knowing the word, but doing the word. Say it out loud. Not just knowing the word, but doing the word. Together now, not just knowing the word, but doing the word. Doing the word, okay? And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. Again, I, I want to point you to uh, Romans 8, 5. Set your mind, like, like, like think about the things of the Spirit. Put your mind as you're driving in your car, as you're mowing your lawn. Whatever you're doing, man, just get your mind on the things of the Spirit. Our minds get into all kinds of stuff, don't they? Yes, normally something sci-fi, okay? Shut up. But will you set your mind back on the things of the Spirit? And, of course, we're told in Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve or do not quench the Holy Spirit. Actually, 1 Thessalonians is quench. Ephesians 4.30 is grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know that if you're a believer, you carry the Spirit with you wherever you go? Why are we going here, the Spirit may ask. Why are you going here? You know this isn't a place you need to be. Why are we here? Why are you looking at that? Really? Come on, that? We shouldn't be looking at this. Why did you say that? Why are we doing this again? We can grieve the Spirit. Let's not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Hey, how in your life are you drinking in the Spirit? How's that happening? In what ways are you setting your mind on the things of the Spirit? Are you praying for the Spirit's filling in your life? So, opposition is going to come, right? 
You track me with this? It's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to happen. People oppose you if you stand for Christ. And we got to be bold. Where's that boldness coming from? Well, it's coming from the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I want to show you another source from the text. And this is kind of a summary of a lot of different scripture from this text. But, but I would say this, how boldness comes from the filling of the Spirit. But also boldness comes from being saturated in the Word. Boldness comes from being saturated with the Word of God. Take a look at verse number 11 and watch what he does in verse 11. It's interesting. Peter, standing up to the religious elite of the day, quotes scripture. He does this. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone or the chief cornerstone. That's a direct quote from Psalm 18, verse 22. And that's not the only time he quotes scripture in this passage. He quotes it again and again and again and again and points to it again and again and again. Why? Because Peter knew the word of God. Peter knew the word of God. He wanted to stand for the word of God because the word of God is true. And that truth, the standing on truth, gave him confidence. And that may be hard today. I feel like I say it a lot, but I feel like I need to. That this idea of absolute truth is just rejected in our world. In fact, it is a value in our culture to reject the word of God. Somewhere along the way, it just became all about how we feel. And I gotta feel good, and if I feel good, then I'll act good, and so therefore you gotta tell me how awesome I am so that I'll feel good about myself, and I can achieve anything, and I can do what I want, and, and, and just follow my heart, and, and the worst thing you can do is make me feel bad. And if you tell me something I don't wanna hear about me, then, then, then I feel bad, and then, then I won't act right. You know, the, the Bible doesn't say feel right, do right. John 13, 17, John 13, 17, write it down. This is coming to my mind right now. I didn't put it in my sermon, but John 13, 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you or happy are you if you do them. So it's no, do, feel. That's the right order. No, do, feel. But our world's caught up in this idea that if I gotta feel good, I gotta feel good. So then whatever I wanna be, whatever I wanna claim, that's my truth. And oh yes, that's your truth. Feel good about your truth. So if you wanna think you're a duck, you're a duck. There's, seriously, there's literally a guy who has identified as a goat. And I'm not even joking about that. He's like taped horns to his head and he wears furry legs and he think, is he a goat? That should have been a whole lot more like, <laughs> a whole lot more secure. Is he a goat? No. Thank you, church. You've heard it, right? If I, if I, if I have a dog, He's got four legs and a tail, but if I call the tail a leg, he has five legs, right? No, it's still a tail. It's not a leg. And we can say, we can say, we can say, and, and, and so absolute truth has just been abandoned. But, but we have truth. And the truth that Peter and John are standing on is the most important truth in our universe. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Are you confident in it? Because a knowledge and a belief, because the word of God says it. That's what we know. God's word says it. God wrote a book. And in that book, Jesus is clearly Lord. It's the whole story of the Bible. 
Do you know that the number one fear, anyone know the number one fear of people across the country is number one fear? Anyone know it? Public speaking. Yeah, you got it. Public speaking. Ducks? No. Goats. It was goats. You missed it. No, uh, uh, public speaking. Public speaking is number one fear. Number one fear. You know what I do for a living every day? You guys, every week you guys make me do this? So, uh... I've never been afraid of it. I don't know why I'm weird, but uh, public speaking is the number one fear. Let me give you a little tip about that. If that's true for you, here's a way to overcome that. Really know your material. Know it really, really, really well. And if you know your material well, you're going to feel a whole lot more confident about that. On Wednesday, I'm going to teach Advanced Excel. I'm going to get up and teach Advanced Excel. I've taught it probably 500 times. I'm going to teach it again. But I'm going to go over those notes the night before again and again and again. So I'm going to teach it. I'm good to go. In fact, the sermon I'm preaching here this Sunday, or right now to you. And uh, uh, so I went over it. I wrote it on Thursday. Went over it last night. Uh, or yesterday morning, went over it again last night, got up this morning, went over it a couple times. So there's four. And then one more time as we drive in, Courtney drives in sometimes. So I can sit in the passenger seat and just go over it one more time. Like just over and over. So I'm confident. I know my material when I stand in front of you. It helps me alleviate some of that, that nervousness. And when you have confidence in what you've got to say, you can say it with boldness. And we have confidence that we have the word of God. We have the word of God. How are you doing in your own personal Bible study? How is that going for you? Are you taking every opportunity to get into the Word of God, even on a daily basis, to know it? How confident are you in the gospel and how to present and teach the gospel? All right. How did they stand? They stand, they stood with boldness. That boldness came from the Spirit. That boldness came from a saturation in the Word of God. Now, what were they bold about? Question number two, what were they bold about? How uh, they were bold? Number two, what were they bold about? Uh, I think that Christians are fairly bold today. I don't know about you, but I think they're fairly bold. So I have Facebook, I have Twitter, I have all that. I watch the feeds and I've seen the boldness of Christians. But let me ask you a question. What do, and you can answer me, what do Christians tend to be bold about today? Politics, sports. Have I heard one more? Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> For sure, yeah, freedoms, for sure those things, they're, they're very bold about those things. Yeah, and I think we get bold about those things because some of those things we, we, we base that on some biblical truth and we feel like we should be bold about those things. And I don't disagree. I, I just think something needs to rise higher than our politics. So you, I don't think it's bad to make a bold stand about some of the things you feel strongly about, but if you make one bold stand about politics, let's see 15 bold stands about Jesus. And not in a way that pushes people away, but in a way that, that draws people into Christ. Because this is exactly what Peter and John were bold about. They were bold about Jesus Christ, Period. I mean, look back at the text. They talk about Jesus all the time. Going all the way back to chapter three, we see them just, and this is a beautiful Christology text that just teaches us some truths about Jesus. You know, it says in there in, in 3.15 that he's the author of life. 3.15 also says that he was raised from the dead. 
Man, all throughout chapter 3, it alludes to the fact that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In 3.20, it says he's coming again to restore all things to himself. We even saw in 4.11 how he was the fulfillment of Psalm 18.22, so many beautiful things about Jesus. And let's just make Jesus beautiful. And as we push Jesus higher, church, let's push us lower. Can I get a witness now? Come on. As we push Jesus higher, let's push us lower. John himself said, he must increase and I must decrease. And it is a trap for Christians to fall into this because we can easily become arrogant about what we believe. We got it right. (laughs) We're so smart and they're so dumb. They're idiots and we're so bright and we think we just, and if you get into, especially if you're like a pastor and you're starting to see like you're preaching and the numbers and all of that and men have fallen into the pit of believing it's about them. Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, I can name others. Let me share a verse with you that, but this, this is exactly where, where Peter and John were. They said it as much. Go back to chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11, where uh, while uh, he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power and piety we made him walk. It's not us. We didn't do it. Quit looking at us. In fact, let your eyes fall back on verse 13 of chapter 4. Watch this. Now, when they saw, this is 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were, check this out, they were uneducated and common men. Who does God use? What's the kind of person that God uses? Really smart people, really put together people, really awesome people. Well, Paul kind of answers this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a look at this with me now. 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. According to the worldly standards, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is, what does that say on the screen there, church? Well, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. (sighs) Clear? So if God is using you, are you awesome or are you more like a weak fool? Church, Even the donkey knew the hallelujahs weren't for him. There's a reason why I'm making a point of this. A, the text does. They were uneducated, common men. I feel like that needed to be highlighted, especially in our culture and considering my own wicked heart, it needs to be highlighted. But there's a more important reason. So let your eyes fall on verse number 12. Watch it carefully. This is really important. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one. No other name. This is it. Just Jesus. Not you. Verse 
People don't need to be won by your politics or your intellect. They need to be won to Jesus because there is no other name. You can convert someone to your side of the aisle and they'll still go to hell. You can convince someone about whatever you believe in terms of the medical advice of the day. You can convince them your awesome logical arguments can win them out, but if you don't win them to Jesus, they're still going to hell. And there's this, there's this, even among Christians today, and this is really true, there is this belief, this thought out there that the object of the faith isn't as important as the strength of the faith. So this is really a thought in the church today that the object of the faith is not as important as the strength of the faith. So if you are a Hindu, but you're really a faithful Hindu, a devout Hindu, Jesus will see that and save you anyway. Or if you're a Buddhist, but a really devout Buddhist, they'll save you anyway. Or a Muslim, but you're really a devout Muslim. And the idea that, that Allah and Jehovah are the same God, well, they're not, okay? Because Jesus is God and they deny that. And, and, and I'm just going to be really bold and strong. It's not a popular thing to say, but I'll say it. There is no Hindu way to heaven. There is no Buddhist way to heaven. There is no Muslim way to heaven. Why do you say that so, so boldly? Well, I have confidence in what the Word of God has said. Look back at verse number 12. Can it be more clear? There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. And if you do not believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again, he is the only way, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one, no one, no one comes to the Father but by him. And you do no one any favors by denying that truth, because it's the truth. It's been interesting to me, both in this service and the last service, how there's just a lot of almost stone-cold silence right here because we don't say these things anymore and we don't put that out that plainly anymore and I know it's not popular, but I can do nothing else but preach the word of God and to do what I can to say it boldly. How do we stand in the opposition? We stand boldly and we preach Jesus. I want you to say that with me. Let's stand boldly and let's preach Jesus. Say it with me. Let's stand boldly and let's preach Jesus. I pray that we would do that. And the last question I want to ask, how boldly? What? The name of Jesus. And why? What is going to motivate our boldness? Where is it going to really, like in our heart of hearts, come from? Well, back to verse 13 now. Look at this. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Here it is. And they recognized that they had what? Been with Jesus. Church, being with Jesus changes you and others will see it. Being with Jesus changes you and others will see it. Are you the same as you've always been? Have you grown? <laughs> Thank you. At least one person's honest, all right. Uh, are, you, are you different? I look back at my life, man, I'm so thankful God has saving me. Now, I got a long way to go, can I get a witness? Amen. That was way too enthusiastic. <laughs> but, I, but, but, but God has changed me, he's changed me, he's changing me. And the more I'm with Jesus, so what is it? 
can we be with Jesus anymore? I mean, Peter and John could. I mean, the dudes were like walking with Jesus. They were like here on the planet with him. So, I mean, is that for us? Can we really be with Jesus? Well, let's ask John and Peter, shall we? Let's say, Peter, now that Jesus is risen, John, now that he's not here anymore, can we still be with Jesus? Well, here's John's answer. John writes this in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, so that mirrors, by the way, his gospel of John, which says the same kind of thing in the first verse of that uh, gospel, but that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, now all those words are really interesting in the original language because they carry a much deeper meaning in the Greek. In, in the Greek, it would read like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and I still hear him today. Which we have seen with our eyes, and I can still see him today. And have looked upon and have touched with our hands, and I can still feel him today. So John believed that it was, he was still present with him concerning the word of life. Now watch, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. John saying the apostles or the disciples have seen it and we testify it and proclaim to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now watch, verse number three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. We can still be with Jesus. Come on, say it with me. We can still be with Jesus. It's such a great truth. And by the way, look what it brings. And we are writing these things to you that your joy may be complete. Are you lacking joy in your life? I wonder if you're not walking closely with Jesus as you need to, because walking with Jesus brings joy. Peter, how about you? John gave us an answer. Peter, can we still be with Jesus today? I love what he says in 1 Peter. He wrote it years later, 8 and 9. Though we have not seen him, though you have not seen him, you love him, okay? You, you know him still. Even though you don't see him, you know him. You love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. There's where it is, faith in Christ. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love how joy is mentioned in both, man, because being with Jesus brings joy. And church, one thing I want to really encourage you is just to foster that love relationship with Jesus Christ. It is what it's all about. Read his word. Hear his voice to you. Cry out to him in prayer and lift up your heart to Jesus. Feel his presence. He is near and he wants to be near. He wants to walk with you. That's the kind of God that we have. And when that happens, you won't be able to help it. When God shows up and does some things, you won't be able to help it. It'll just spill out of you. That's what he says in verse number 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. I can't help it, man. Jesus has rocked my world and changed my life, and I've got to talk about it. That's the idea. Now, last thing here. Two truths I wanted to share with you as we kind of close this out. As we talk about our stance in, against the opposition, we talk about our witness. Two things you need to know. One is many will still reject the truth. Many will still reject the truth. Look at, look at this. This is... Verse number uh, 16, now, I, um, this is shocking, okay? So here's the counsel of the Jewish elders. Here's what they say to one another. Verse number 16, saying, what shall we do with these men? 
For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We've seen the truth. We've seen the miracle. We can't deny it. But how does verse 17 start? What's the first word in verse 17? But. But. And then they tell him not to preach the name. There are people who are going to see it, and their hearts will still be hard, and they'll still deny it. But not all will. Go back to verse number four of Acts 4. Here's another but, but a better one. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men became 5,000. Awesome. Some will believe, and because of that, we'll preach. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over us today, this morning. I'm just going to ask the Lord to do this in us. This is not something you can generate on your own. We have to have that dependency upon God, that expectancy of him to move. And so we're just going to take this time right now and ask the Lord to do this in us. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word so much. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to stand up and to speak it. And I know, I know, I know the message I'm preaching today is not a popular message in our culture. But I also know, I know, I know there is no other way to heaven but through your son, Jesus Christ. And denying that or watering that down or lying to other people that their way is okay robs them of the joy and the hope and the salvation that comes through your son. And we need a boldness. God, I thank you that that boldness really comes from living close to Jesus. My cry is for everyone in this room. God, I pray this passionately that every person in this room this morning would draw into Jesus more. This week would be a week lived closer to you and love with you than ever before. That as you do that, Father, you draw them in, you'll fill them with your spirit and you'll grant them a boldness when the opposition comes. So we just ask all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, Redemption. There's some chocolate milk up here if anybody wants to have some of that. Other than that, you are loved.